This is heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hey everyone, and welcome to Be Heard Talk, an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of hip hop, Asana Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday we discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic black millennial perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave your comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and we will read them throughout this show. My name is Selena Hill, and I'm the founder of Be Heard Talk and the digital editor at Black Enterprise. And I'm super excited to be here with you all to discuss the rise of Robinhood and how Robinhood, an app that revolutionized the art of investing by giving the masses the ability to buy stocks in a whim, has now become the center of controversy after restricting trades on highly volatile stocks for retail investors. To help us unpack this story, we'll be joined by former Wall Street professional and Revolt TV host, Ross Mack, who will give us a breakdown of the GameStop saga and how average Americans can advance in a rigged system. Now, before I introduce my co-host, I also wanna thank our official media partner, Black Enterprise, and our sponsor, Black Spectrum Theater. Start your subscription today and enjoy Black Spectrum home video series. Head over to blackspectrum.com to become a season pass subscriber and to learn more about it today. Now, let's start the show by introducing my co-host, Stanley Fritz. Listen, Selena, I made $7 on Robinhood this week, so this is gonna be the last time you call me your co-host. I'm not the owner of Be Heard Talk. <laughs> What's going on? Stanley Stanley invested in AMC and GameStop along with the other Redditors. I put in six cents on Dogecoin and made 11 cents. Step your money up. You see, <laughs> when you use your stimulus money correctly, your stimulus money will money for you. And that's what I'm here to talk about. You can get more tips like this from me on Twitter at Stan Fritz or on IG at Stan Fritz. If you want to learn how to turn your seven cents on Robinhood into 10 cents on Robinhood, Talk to me. I'll show you how to invest. I'm really excited about this topic today. It's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, before we get there, we got a lot more to talk about. So let's talk about our boy, Evan. Evan, did you make some money on Robinhood? So Evan is actually having some technical difficulties, our correspondent. So we're going to have to check back into, obviously he's not invested in Robinhood and that's mm -hmm. why he has the, the bootleg Wi-Fi connection going on. So maybe we need to give him some tips to get to where the money reside. Um, but nonetheless, I do want to give a check-in to all those who are watching us via LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, as well as um, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So we have a lot of people on the check-in. Some people are actually saying that Robinhood... Wait, 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 hold on one second. Sorry. I just made 16 more cents with Dogecoin. Can you please lower your voice when you talk to a money man? Thank you very much. <laughs> I can't. I can't. So later on, we are going to actually do a deep dive into Robin Hood. Super excited to talk to our featured guests for that. And shout out to Rebecca Howard, who says via LinkedIn, stop ordering Popeye sandwiches. We are all becoming rich. LOL. Jokes. Um, so we're going to have some fun when we talk about Robin Hood later on. But before we get to the main topic and our featured guests, I'm going to throw it back to Stanley to kick us off with the news roundup. Listen, broke boys and broke girls, I know you wanna learn about how to make money and I will tell you everything I know, which is almost nothing. But before we do that, we gotta talk about the news stories that didn't fill up your pockets, but they did make you scratch your head, maybe ask a question, maybe it excited you, or maybe like me, it made you really, really sad. And that's the news roundup. Speaking of news, we got our boy Evan who'll be jumping on any minute to join the news roundup. But while he gets ready, let me tell you about one of the biggest pieces of news that happened this week. It's one that left me a little sad. So for those of you who don't know, Cicely Tyson has passed away after 96 wonderful years on this earth where she was working and acting to the very end. She was in that really bad Tyler Perry movie from a couple of months ago. Um, and she was still making, doing good work. She's passed away. I know a lot of us are sad. I'm sad to see her go, but sis lived a full life. Selena, how did you feel receiving the news? Honestly, I was upset um, to, about Cicely Tyson's passing. Um, literally days before, about two days before, she released her much anticipated memoir, Just As I Am. 
And literally hours before the announcement that she had passed, she tweeted and she was talking about this memoir. And, and, and also just two days before she passed again, uh, CBS This Morning released an in-depth interview that she did with Gail King, uh, where she talked about her, her come up, where she talked about how she faced so much racial discrimination as well as sexism um, when she was um, like obviously um, starting out her career in acting. And she also talked about having this Me Too moment where this white well-known acting coach sexually assaulted her. However, she refused to be deterred and she continued to work with him and continued to pursue her dreams. And to me, that's a testament of the resilience that women, especially black women had to endure uh, during the 50s and the 60s where you didn't have a choice. You know, it was either you work with the oppressor or, you know, or, or, or you took another route but she let nothing deter her. And, and I just feel like, you know, her living um, so many generations and living so many years is also just a testimony of her legacy and she will definitely be well missed. That's crazy. She still had to work with her oppressor after he sexually yeah. her. I, oh, I, yeah. I want to say, thank God that doesn't happen anymore, but we all know no. it probably does, unfortunately. I want to welcome yeah. Evan who just came on with us. Evan, how you doing, my guy? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me on this blessed day but at the same time i was also very very sad saddened to hear about this news uh you know cicely tyson was just one of those actors you thought you know it was it was a norm it was part of your day to know that she was just out here doing uh amazing work um you know just a constant an absolute constant an absolute beacon of light um i remember the first time i saw cicely tyson in a movie it was a medea's family reunion when i was young mm. And uh, I loved that movie when I was young yes. for many reasons. Uh, but uh, her very calming, uh, wise presence just shone through. And the last time I heard from Cicely Tyson was only a few days before she passed. And it was when she uh, gave Amanda Gorman, the, um, uh, the poet laureate from Biden's inaugural, uh, just a beautiful message. And then, to find out she passed, it almost looked like a baton was passed from one uh, amazing, influential uh, black woman figure to a to a younger generation. So, yeah. Can I just can I just plus one on that monologue from Tyler Perry's family um, reunion? Cicely Tyson had one of the best monologues that I've seen in my young lifetime, um, where she just spoke to not only the black men that were in the movie, but it felt like she was speaking to a generation of black men. And to this day, it is so riveting and moving. Um, and again, it also just speaks to the, the testament of her hard work. Like I even mm -hmm. saw Cicely Tyson perform live on Broadway, where she won a, t a Tony Award. She had this uh, the play, uh, the trip to Bountiful left me in tears. I interviewed her two years ago. She oh, wow. still had so much life. She was very vibrant, very quick, very even a little feisty. So, like to just hear <laughs> that she passed, I, I you know after releasing the memoir, it definitely took many of us by surprise. Yeah, I want to get some some comments. We got a um, comment from Chance Carlson Holloway. He's one of our regulars. Chance says, "I remember I went to see her in a movie where she played as Jane Pittman." My mom took my sister and I to see it. It had a major impact on me as a little black boy. May she rest in power. Seriously, listen, big sis, auntie, grandma, whatever you want to call her, rest in peace to great Cicely Tyson. Now, listen, I know we are sad, but take out some time to celebrate the life that she lived. She lived the full one. And while mm -hmm. we're here, we get to carry on her legacy. But now, let's talk about someone else and something else. So as you guys know, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and other senators have been running on a get us an office and we'll send you $2,000 checks. And then we know that slogan went from elect us, you get a $2,000 check to elect us, and we'll give you the remaining down payment on the $1,400 of $600 that you already got. People aren't happy about that. Well, now that the White House sees that people aren't happy about this, they figure, wow, we shouldn't do things people aren't happy about. Let's do something different. What's the different thing they're doing? Well, they're considering a smaller stimulus check to push through the Senate so that Republicans will work with them and then pushing to do student loan forgiveness in that next student, that next stimulus bill. 
So instead of doing everything in one bill, they want to do a smaller one to get Republicans to work with them, even though Republicans have guaranteed and promised that they will not. Evan, are you excited about possibly not getting a stimulus check and also not getting state funding that we need? No, of course I'm not excited. I had a dream about that STEMI the other night, by the way, but I'm trying to remember parts of it. Uh, that's how much this is going into my consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised, though. I mean, this has been the M.O. of the centrist Democrats for some time now to just p- take away, piece away, to work with the Republicans. You know, I've been saying this for a while. I think Joe Biden, I think Donald Trump was a horrible president. One thing he did was when he wasn't happy with stuff, he just did stuff in executive order to do horrible things. Well, if I'm Joe Biden, I try to use executive order right now to do decent things. And and honestly, let someone complain that Joe Biden used executive order to give working class people money. I would just somehow put that in executive order saying we need stimmies. We are in a pandemic. I'm going to do this my damn self. That's what well, I would do. About well, Biden. unfortunately... The president cannot just send money. He needs Congress to vote on it and because they have the power of the purse. But I hear you. And Joe Biden has already signed in, I think, over 40 executive orders already in his, what, week and a half in the White House. So he's been moving. Selena, what do you think about this whole stimulus check fiasco where they might try to push a smaller stimulus bill? Look, families... And working class people are suffering right now. We are in the midst of this pandemic. It doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. And we need this money. A lot of people depend on it, obviously, to pay their rent, for groceries, for care for their children. Other people are actually caring for older folks and their family. Now is the time. And, you know, if Democrats and Republicans could never come together, this is the time for them to actually come together and do something for America. Like, honestly, I think, you know, Biden, he's been in office for, what, two weeks now? Um, So I'm hoping that his administration will definitely give the, will put the people first and make sure that they're helping us in this time of difficulty. I hear you. I'm going to give you one more chance to close out your thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Congress does have the power of the purse, especially when it comes to taxation. But I, I think in this time, I would try to push the envelope a bit and see if there's some way. Look, he got a ton of lawyers in there. If there's some way that he can make this be an act out of national economic crisis, that he can somehow make some case to do an order. I know it's not you know, something that has much precedent, but we came from an unprecedented four years of a president. I, I think it's worth pushing the envelope. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. envelope you can push, Evan. It's literally right. a law. The Congress would have to vote to change the law. For, um, okay. Okay. But I do want to get to some comments. Um, we got a really good comment from Sharon Joseph that I want to make sure that I am, that I'm highlighting because I think it reflects how a lot of us are feeling. The hypocrisy and cognitive dissidence needed to be need to shame Dems into a corner of inefficiency is astronomical. Wow, I read that very poorly, didn't I, guys? <laughs> she used but, a lot of big words, Stanley. Sorry. I know, right? Damn, Sharon, you couldn't use no second grade words? The hypocrisy, <laughs> it sounds out. Cognitive dissidents needed to shame Dems into a corner of inefficiency is astronomical. I mean, it's not that hard to shame them into being inefficient, honestly. Like, look at this. They've got the entire country behind them, and they're still looking for ways to do something smaller, therefore disappointing everyone. I don't know. Maybe it's par for the course. Maybe this is what they do. But they better do something different. If not, they're going to get in trouble. So now, if you thought this week's news has been pretty dark, guys, I want to give you something to laugh about. Because it's not really funny, but it's hilarious. So for those of you who don't know, Donald Trump is still facing impeachment charges. And because of that, he has to hire a legal defense team. Well. His defense team has already left him less than two weeks before the actual trial. Two prominent members of that team have decided that they want no parts of this at all. They don't want to engage with it. They don't want to help Trump. Maybe they don't think they have a case. Maybe they got something better to do, but they're not there anymore. Evan, does this bode poorly for Trump in his defense trial? Uh, of course it bodes poorly. Um, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if some someone else wanted to join this sinking ship. I mean, Republicans have been joining the sinking ship for the past four years. Uh, but 
I think that some people may see writing on the wall that at this point, Donald Trump is just a guy acting like the president. He is no longer the president. He no longer even has Twitter to act like the president on. So he lost a lot of his clout. So I think some people are reevaluating their career choices now. Like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if someone wanted to save this guy and then make uh, make make him owe them something. Uh, but I think that this is the, the beginning of the end for a lot of Donald Trump's major support. Uh, unfortunately, he still has the support of 70 million people. And unfortunately, I don't think he'll be connect, convicted. But I think it will make it a lot messier when it comes time to litigate this. Selena, what do you think? First of all, I don't even understand how he had a legal team. <laughs> Except for Rudy Giuliani. Why are like legitimate lawyers even backing him? Even if you are conservative or Republican. This man has lied, he is corrupt, and he is shameless. Why would you wanna associate yourself with him? And why are you letting it get down to the wire? It's less than two weeks and now you pull out? I don't know what they're thinking. And some of the lawyers uh, that are part of his, that were part of his defense team, um, they were actually credible lawyers who worked for the DOJ. Look, I do think that, you know, from what I was reading, they could have made an argument about the legality of convicting a president after he left office. But from what I read, it sounds like Donald Trump was like, no, forget the legality. You need to argue and rant and rave about how this election was stolen from me. And that's what pushed them out. They are, you are dealing with a completely irrational dictator type person. I don't understand why they started. Like, wh why did you even enter like why did you even try to work with donald trump so that's my thing well because money talks much louder than values for a lot of these people and because for a long time you could help donald trump and no one is held accountable because there's always somebody willing to pay you that's the thing about it that's the way white supremacy works that's the way that trump has been able to stay in power for so long is because no one wants to hold him accountable because he's a white man with power speaking of white men with power seahawks player chad wheeler is now a former Seahawks player after it was discovered that he apparently strangled his girlfriend, his black girlfriend, three times, knocked her unconscious twice, and then expressed shock that he did not kill her. Chad Wilder, the former player for the Seattle Seahawks, apparently did this because she would not bow to him while, he, while she was presenting him his food. Evan, we do work on patriarchy and sexism. We do. How does the story land to you? I mean, unfortunately, unsurprising. I mean, the NFL has had a history of men who do this type of behavior, but it's just, it's it, it's awful that just to think, you know, we find out sometimes about people whose private lives become public. I just want everybody to understand, and you mentioned this earlier about Cicely Tyson, about how we hope a lot of these, even, I don't want to say smaller incidences, but these incidences hopefully are lessened, but they still go on. They still go on. So many people's private lives, when, when the doors are closed and they're not under a microscope, uh, men enact patriarchy full force with all its violence and everything else. And uh, I, I double that for uh, white men with money and power. So it didn't surprise me. It was awful. I could only read some of the superficial coverage of this because it was just very, very uh, traumatizing even to read. Um, I know he's claiming some kind of psychological defense here, but I think it's BS. And I think this is a pattern of behavior for both NFL players and unfortunately men in general. He just happens to be famous. Imagine all the women that go through this um, as a result of men who aren't famous. Yeah, Evan, thank you so much for that. I want to go to the comment from Sharon Joseph. Sharon Joseph says, likely he will, I'm sorry about that, likely he will not be convicted. Yeah, which is scary. I would hate to see him earn money after, after an insurgency. Also, let's not forget that if the Republicans fail to put a stake through his political career, through his political career, he will influence the Republicans for several decades. You know what's kind of sad, Selena? I thought Sharon was talking about the football player. It's <laughs> Me too. Different. Me too. It's just a whole bunch of white men behaving poorly and no oh one. Oh my god. So Sharon was talking about Donald Trump for the record, but that also may apply to Chad Wheeler. We know that NFL has a history of football players who have domestic violence issues and they're not held accountable. Mm -hmm. They was a kicker on the Giants who was abusing his wife and in his diary said that he believed he was God and that he could kill his wife whenever he wanted to. The Giants owner said that they loved him, he was like a family member, and they were going to stick with him. 
That was their stance as somebody who was threatening to kill his wife. We have a LinkedIn user who doesn't put their name, but they share a story. They go, okay, let me speak to this. I'm a domestic violence survivor. Unless the law changes to one and done for abusers, including no bail, you will be here next year having the same conversation about another player who can't play anymore in the NFL. I was, I was almost killed in 94. Glad to be here. We're glad you're here as well, LinkedIn user, and we're very sorry you had to live through something like that. I want to keep the ball moving, folks. We do have a couple more stories. Um, the next Yeah. Um, can can I just comment about the NFL story, Stanley? Oh, Stanley that yeah. story was no, hold on. So first of all, besides this story being horrible and disgusting, um, I, I was really upset that I kind of felt like the Seahawks didn't do anything initially. I kind of feel like they were, you know, they presumed that it would be okay to just let Reeler and a contract expire and not offer him a new deal and sort of just try to quiet quiet him down and just like, you know, move on. But if, it, you know, thank God for the outrage that I saw all over social media, which really pushed this story and, you know, got, gave it the detention and the, the traction that it needed. So then, you know, eventually the Seahawks, uh, they waived Wheeler's rights. Um, but another thing that I want to just point out is like, Will this will Wheeler, a white player, face the same type of consequences that we've seen black players repeatedly face from the league? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I read that in 2017, it was Ezekiel Elliott who um was he was who had to who faced a six game suspension, even though he was never arrested or charged or even sued. So I'm like, in this case, you have a domestic violence uh, victim who called the cops. Everything is documented. Um, let's see how, what happens for him. Yeah, let's see what happens. There was a couple of years ago, Jeremy Hardy almost killed his partner. There was all sorts of statements where he said that he was going to kill her, and he got signed to the Carolina Panthers, pardon me, the Chicago Bears, no, Dallas Cowboys, sorry about that. I haven't watched football in a while. He got signed to the Dallas Cowboys and then made captain of the team. And then when pictures started coming out of the abuse, that's when they finally cut mm-hmm. him from the team. The NFL is not interested in holding anyone accountable. Yeah. So I want to take us on to our last story, and we'll start with Selena on this one. Boycott Publix is trending on Twitter after supermarket air Iris, excuse me, a supermarket heiress spent three hundred thousand on the January sixth Stop the Steal rally. So for those of you who don't know what the Stop the Steal rally is, it is the insurrection that we saw happen at the Capitol. And this heiress took $300,000 to help these people get to the Capitol and do what they did. Selena, how do you feel about this story? I don't think we should be surprised. So the heiress actually has a track record of contributing to the Republican Party. In fact, she contributed more than $980,000. That's almost one, uh, $1 million in 2020, in the 2020 election cycle in a joint account for the Trump campaign and the Republican Party. So this is what she's been doing. Um, I think that because we live in an age where everything is recorded, documented, and then talked about on social media, so people are finally being held accountable. But you know, this is nothing new. Um, so many business owners, uh, those in the 1%, capitalists, whatever you wanna call them, have been supporting the party that supports policies that actively hurt working class people and people of color. So look, and we're gonna talk about this a little later on about this system. This system itself has been rigged against working class folks and it it just all plays into it. Yes, Evan, why is it that these corporations are still investing in Trump even though Trump and his supporters are obviously racist? I mean, I'm with Selena, none of this surprised me. And I know a lot of Floridians are gonna be upset because they love their publics. I've had many arguments with them about this. Um, they look at publics like it's the best thing on earth. But to to move away from that, yeah, but the Trump ideology is not gone, even if Trump is still there. I mean, even if Trump is out of office, the Trump ideology persists. And we saw how powerful it was. The Trump ideology And I don't mean an ideology that didn't exist before Trump. I mean an ideology that emboldened existing ideologies, which is what led to the storming of the Capitol and all these uh, racist, white supremacist, white people feeling like they had someone in a higher power, higher place, sometimes higher power, who supported their views. It emboldened them. And that is still there. That didn't leave when he left office. So it is still profitable. I mean, 
Trump is probably still making money from his own supporters. He's a rich man. If Trump opened a legal defense fund tomorrow because of the, the legal defense he lost, he would make millions upon millions of dollars. It does not surprise me that uh, anything related to Trump still makes money because there's still millions upon millions of people who are willing to put their lives on the line to support it. Thank you so much for that, Evan. I want to go to Rose um, Leslie's comment. She says, um, she funded 300000 of the 500000 that was raised for that rally. And now Publix is one of the few places giving out the vaccines. Wow. Not sh can't, can't deny or confirm that. I'll tell folks to hit their Googles diligently to make sure that information is correct. But that's if it is true, that's pretty, pretty big. So, folks, that's the news roundup. I hope you guys got some good commentary and thought from this. Make sure you're always arming yourself with accurate news. You can get these stories and many more at blackenterprise.com. They're covering all these stories. Um, and now I'm going to throw to Selena so we can have this conversation about the stock market. Thank you for that, Stanley. And thank you, Evan, for joining us for the news thank roundup. You. We'll catch you again next time. Definitely. So even, okay, even for many of us who usually don't pay attention to the stock market, I'm sure you all heard of the GameStop mania that has taken Wall Street by storm. Thanks to a legion of retail traders on Reddit, shares of the struggling brick and mortar video game retailer skyrocketed by 400% in the past week after they banded together in the Wall Street bets forum on Reddit and decided that if they all invested together in GameStop, in, in GameStop stocks, they could make some money and basically troll hedge funds. As a result, this coalition of small individual investors caused billions in losses for extremely well-funded financial firms who were betting against GameStop stocks. And GameStop isn't the only stock that has been targeted by the Wall Street Bets forum on Reddit. Several other countries that seem like forgotten ruins from the pre-COVID era have also experienced similar activity, including AMC theaters, Bed Bath & Beyond, BlackBerry, and Nokia. So this all backfired on Robinhood, the free trading pioneer and popular app which aims to work in favor of amateur traders because critics say Robinhood abandoned their customers in favor of helping those who had shorted all of those stocks in the first place. As a result, a class action lawsuit has been filed against Robinhood for allegedly manipulating the open market by restricting retail investors from buying GameStop and other highly volatile stocks. This battle also created a strange alignment between those on the far, on the far left, like our fearless leader AOC, and right-wing radicals like Ted Cruz. So to help us further understand the GameStop stock explosion. We're joined by Ross Mack, a former Wall Street professional turned host of Maconomics on Revolt TV and Chicago rapper. Now, Ross, you know what's happening here better than us. I gave a very high level overview, but tell us why was Robin Hood's move so controversial? Um, one, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, and in order to really get into what happened with you know, what Robin Hood did. I think you kind of got to know more of the backstory. So should I first kind of give a little bit of the backstory? Or should I go right into sure. what is controversial? No, so, you can give the backstory. I mean, you did a great job of giving a backstory. I just want to really help people understand, you know, why the the Reddit form, you know, Wall Street Bets was actually a very sophisticated move, right? What ended up happening, and that's what makes, you know, some people even think it might be, you know, some some wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Where it's like might be some actual sophisticated investor, AKA other hedge funds in these forms kind of inciting the movement. But what ended up happening is that when you have a hedge fund, you have the ability to go long companies, you have the ability to go short. Well, in this case, you know, there were a lot of hedge funds that were actually shorting, um, you know, companies like GameStop and we'll just kind of leave it at that. When you go short, AKA you're believing that this company is going to go down. You're, you're hoping that, you know, this company is going to probably go to zero, go bankrupt. And that's how you actually make money. And so what ended up happening was that in order to actually short a company, what you have to do is you actually have to go and you have to borrow shares and then you sell them to someone else. So what they would theoretically do is they would call call it their bank. Right. The actual name would be prime broker. But what they would do, is they would call their prime broker and say, yo, I want to borrow shares of Robinhood. I'm sorry. I want to borrow shares of GameStop and sell it to someone else. And that's how it goes. So if 
at the beginning of the year, say GameStop's trading at 15 bucks. What they would do is they would literally, they would go to their prime broker, aka like their bank, and they would say, you know, let me borrow these shares at $15 and I'm gonna go sell it to someone else. And the idea is later on, they were supposed to go and hope that the stock goes down. They would buy it back for call it $5 and they would make that $10 like return, that difference, right? And then they, and that's how it would go. So anytime a company's, anytime a hedge fund is actually short a company, they're borrowing shares, they sell it to someone else with the hopes that the stock goes down and they profit, you know, and as they buy it back to actually return the shares to the people they borrowed. But in the instance that the stock goes the other way, right? In this instance, GameStop stock just kept rising. What ended up happening is that one, they would have to cover their short. And what I mean by cover, they literally have to go buy it back because the person they borrowed it from, right? Their bank, their prime broker, same thing, right? They're gonna require more margin, right? And so they, it's literally like, yo, you owe me like $10 million, but because this stock is actually going the other way, you might now you got to post more collateral. You might actually owe me 20 million, 30 million, right? That's how it would go. So what ended up happening is that because so many people were short, the 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 Wall Street Reddit forum was like, oh, let's just let's everybody go and buy this and let's require all of the hedge funds to actually go and buy this back. So what that is called is a short squeeze. So to even take it one step further to give you, you know, why I say this is more sophisticated is because. What they ended up doing was that the actual short interest on GameStop was 140%. So to put that in just pure layman terms, that means that imagine we're both, con imagine us are actually um, concert promoters and we only have 100 seats, but we go out and we sell 140 tickets for it. So literally for 140 people, we're hoping that only, you know, a hundred people or so would actually be able to come and see it, but we don't care. And that's effectively what's happening. So what ended up happening for the, for the amount of shares that GameStop actually had, these hedge funds were able to actually sell, AKA when you borrow it, they were able to sell more shares than they were actually have in GameStop. So that's, what's really causing this, you know, this, this mania because the, the very sophisticated people in, in Reddit, they were like, Oh yeah, they, it's 140% short. They're going to have to buy it back and more importantly, going to have to pay insane amounts of money to get it back. Because anytime, you know, you have the supply and there's a lot of demand. Right. And the reason it's a lot of demand is because the stock is moving up so much. Right. It went from 15 to 20 to 100, 200, 300. Therefore, these people. Right. Um, the, the Melbourne capitals of the world, they are literally like, yo, I need to buy shares in order to cover my shorts. I'm losing a ton of money. And so anytime you know you have a person that has to buy, that's when you could jack the price up, right? And that's kind of mm. what, you know, the, the actual dynamic of Wall Street is about in this instance. So Eric Moore left a comment via Facebook. Eric Moore says, we'll pull that up now. Tell us what hedge funds are briefly, um, Ross. Great, Eric, great, great question, right? So hedge funds are... They're investment managers. They take capital from their um, uh, what you'll call, you know, LPs. Um, and what they're doing are they are effectively saying, "Hey, give me your capital. I'm going to charge you uh, a management fee." And the and what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a return on your capital. So what they are, they're just uh, very sophisticated asset managers, right? So similar to how you might have a um, a 401k. Um, and you're putting your money probably with a Vanguard or a Fidelity, those are mutual funds. They're also asset managers. However, they are long only. And what we mean by long only, they're only buying. They're not betting against companies to fail effectively. They're not hedging, right? If the market mm. goes down, hedge funds might have a sophisticated way of saying I can still make money in that instance because I'm able to bet against companies as well as bet that companies do well. So hedge funds are just more sophisticated forms of, um, call it mutual funds because they have the ability to short. So hedge funds are similar to what you might might know more about, like a Vanguard of Fidelity, but they have the ability to short. So in instance, in theory, hedge funds are technically supposed to make more money than mutual funds. Like their returns okay. are, generally speaking, supposed to give you higher returns. So hedge funds are very, um, you know, important you know, aspect of, you know, people's retirement, right? You, when you come to people that invest in hedge funds are, you know, pension funds, um, endowment funds, 
um, as well as uh, sovereign wealth funds. They are, you know, a lot of big money as well, right? Family offices, aka rich people, and they might put their money um, invest into a hedge fund directly. Thank you for just explaining and breaking that down, Ross. I also wanted to highlight a comment from Chance a little earlier in the program. Chance says via Facebook, anybody that trades with Robinhood should leave. They show themselves to not hold up on, hold up to their creed. Thank you, Chance. I know a lot of us are really upset. So, you know, we definitely appreciate the breakdown of what was really going on, Ross. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to just throw it over to Stanley to get his comments in the conversation as well as questions. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to point out one of the things that, like, one of the reasons folks are so upset with Robinhood is Robinhood, after a certain point, stopped people from being able to buy stocks from GameStop, from AMC, from Nokia, from BlackBerry. And all you could do was sell those stocks back. So for me, I had stocks, I bought stocks in AMC, BlackBerry, and Nokia. And I was, my, my numbers were looking great on Wednesday. By Thursday morning, those stocks were frozen. Mm -hmm. All you could do was sell them. And all of a sudden, Everything is plummeting, and I don't know why. So I thought I was the only one, but if you go on social media, everyone was pissed because they're like, Robinhood is doing this on purpose. And then you watch the news, and all these Wall Street brokers are on there, and they're saying how what these Redditors are doing is so messed up, and it's so bad, and corrupt, and should be illegal. And then a host asked a question. I think it was Jake Tapper asked a question. What's the difference between what these normal, like, everyday people are doing and what Wall Street brokers do every single day? And if it's not illegal when the hedge funders do it, why is it illegal or why are people so angry about it now? So I guess that's my question for you. Yeah. What's the problem now that, that broke folks are doing it? Awesome. So before I even got into it, I just wanted to give the backstory, right? So let me tell you why it's even more insane, right? Let me help you out. So when we, told, when we talked about the companies that effectively were short GameStop and ended up losing you know, billions of dollars, well, the reason they were losing billions of dollars because the stock was going up and they had to go out and purchase the shares that they borrowed at a much higher rate. And so to give you one idea, one company is by the name of Melvin Capital. Now, this is how when Robinhood comes into place. So Melvin Capital needed to be bailed out. They were bailed out by a much larger hedge fund by the name of Citadel. It's going to be a triangle because this is what I want you to understand. So when it comes to Robinhood, most people say if you are paying, if, if you're utilizing a service for free, Technically, you are the product. And so that's what it is. So when you so when you're using Robinhood, Robinhood has the ability to the way they make a lot of money is because they can't charge you for your trades. So instead, they sell your information, your data, a.k.a. your trade flow. So and who they sell it to, they will sell it to a company called Citadel. So here's where the triangle happens. Robinhood, their largest one of their largest clients is Citadel. Melvin Capital was bailed out by Citadel. So you kind of see where that happens, right? So now, effectively to these hedge funds, their biggest enemy was the Reddit traders. What do Reddit use? They would uh, The Reddit traders, the, those investors on Wall Street Bets, the, the kind of the common man, what were they using? Robinhood. So the reason this ended up being such a, a, a very ugly thing that ended up having a lot of senators get involved um, and, and AOC, Ted Cruz, and a lot of other prominent people speaking out about it was because, to your point, Thursday morning when you were not allowed to sell, um, I'm sorry, when you were not allowed to buy anymore, but you were only allowed to sell, it made them feel as though um, Robinhood was siding with the hedge funds. Why? Because it seemed as though they were protecting the, the Citadels and the Melbourne Capitals. Why? Because it's technically their largest client. And so why that ended up being so ugly was because anytime, you know, from a pure supply demand, if you're not allowed to um, buy and you can only sell, the price has to go down. So you woke up, you know, Thursday morning, GameStop was down 50, 60 percent, AMC down 50, 60 percent, BlackBerry, Nokia, all of these other names that had just been trading up so much ended up being down. And so why it ended up being a problem? Because it seemed as though Robin Hood was effectively tying the hands of the small guys to effectively protect the big guys. And what I mean by protecting the big guys, aka the hedge funds, is understand this. I tried to you know, go through the mechanics of how it all happened. The reason it seemed that way is because these guys were losing money. The, the more AMC increased in price, the more GameStop increased in price, right? And so when Robinhood said, hey, you small guys no longer could buy, you could only sell, that meant that 
those big guys were now benefiting from that because the prices were going down. They were able to get into those positions. They were also probably able to profit as those prices were actually going down. And so the controversy was, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're not going to, if you're, you're, you're only allowing one side to do one thing, you're restricting one side to only do one thing, AKA drive the prices down, right? Because everybody, if you can't buy, you can't support um, the asset prices, right? It, the, that means if, if you're only allowed to sell, that means the price is going to keep going down, right? Robinhood, everybody was trying to bind together. No one sell, no one sell. But if you see to your point, you know, you were in AMC and GameStop and you saw that, whoa, it was at, you know, three, three, four hundred dollars. And then, whoa, it dipped to about one hundred eighty. You might have got panicked. You might have panicked. You probably said, yo, let me sell. You know, a lot of other people were saying, let me sell. And so what ended up happening is um, most people were very upset with Robinhood because it appeared that they were manipulating the market. And how you're doing that, you're not allowing little guys to buy stocks and mm -hmm. aka the stocks that were the, you know the the mania the 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 heart of this whole robin hood reddit you know controversy right. so it, it, it was pretty ugly it was pretty ugly and so you know the yeah. moment that when you look at it and you're like whoa Mel melvin capital uh citadel they probably made a lot of money on you know that thursday when stanley when you weren't able to buy they probably made a lot of money uh, on that thursday because they were able to get in for a lot cheaper so Marcia Yvonne Davis says via Facebook, she asked the question, we'll pull that up. Um, she asks, what would have been the consequences for Robin Hood if they had done nothing? Which is a great question, Ross. Great, great question. So Robin Hood CEO came out and spoke. Um, and one of the things he was saying, which, you know, probably one of the things that I kind of came out publicly and said, I'm like, man, I think that these guys are going to have to go before Congress and explain what actually happened. Right. Because to the public, they manipulated the market. You know, they transferred the wealth of power back to the hedge funds as, you know, the, the smaller guys were winning. Right. And so I think what the consequences would have been was, you know, the Robin Hood team, the CEO came out and said that the um, the clearinghouses, um, you know, they required them to increase uh, they required them to post more capital because these stocks were so volatile. Um, and so what ended up happening and, you know, Robin, they might have been covering themselves, but they literally said um, the clearinghouses, like anytime, you know, a Robin Hood trades a stock, you know, they are probably they have to clear this. Right. Anytime you trade a stock, realistically, it doesn't get into your account. Um, until like two days, like T plus two. Right. That's when a trade actually clears. That's probably more complicated than it needs to be. But to your point, to the to a very good question, what would the consequences have been? The consequences would have been Robinhood technically could have went out of business. They would have had to post a lot of more capital in order to uh, facilitate these orders. How true that is, I don't know. I'm just letting you know actually what they're saying, right? And so when you look at it, what they were saying was that the clearinghouses effectively tied their hands. They needed to draw on. I want to say they drew on maybe. 10 lines of credit. They went to their banks and say, yo, we need more money. We need to borrow more money to actually help facilitate this because that uh, that following day, Friday, Stanley, you probably got in. They said, okay, you can buy, but you can only buy a few shares. You can only buy two, all right? And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to continue to look very controversial. The market's going to look like they truly manipulated it. But, you know, the only, th the only thing I would say, the controversy will be that, um, you know, it, it that their their consequence could have been they could have technically went out of business, but I don't know, you know, how true that is. So Evan Mastronardi just left a great question via Facebook, but actually leads to my question. Evan says, "Does Ross think Robinhood or Sedell will actually face legal consequences? What is the SEC's role here?" And I was going to ask you, Ross, will this lead to a Senate hearing? Oh, I I firmly believe it will. Now, will they get in trouble? I think it might be a slap on the wrist fine because what, what you have is that it was something that was truly, um, you know, very well orchestrated in the sense that. Um, so to tell you, you know, kind of how hedge funds work, right? Like they they have very sophisticated ways to push a price up and can push a price down. Right. When you see people technically go on CNBC, um, you might have, you know, another hedge fund, Centron. They might publish a report that will say, I believe this company, it should go to zero. Right. Like. A lot of people have the ability to do that. And so what ended up happening when Reddit did it, 
it ended up being a problem, right? And so um, to your question, I do believe they're going to go before Senate. And um, I think that they're going to have to really explain what happened. And more importantly, they're going to have to explain how when hedge funds were losing money, um, Robinhood found it, you know, uh, uh, they, they, they made it a point to effectively tie the hands of all of their users, right? You know, the AKA the, the small uh, retail investors. So I do believe they go before Congress. I do believe, you know, Congress, you know, finds some wrongdoing because I think at the end of the day, what you have to do is they're going to look and see what all trades Citadel and Melvin Capital and, and technically other hedge funds made during this Thursday window when no other, you know, small guys were technically kept out of the market from actually buying, right? Once again, in order to support the, the stock from falling, you need more people going in and buying. And technically people were not allowed to buy. And so I do believe it's going to lead to, you know, some, some Senate hearings, you know, some very controversial things. And I mean, we already saw AOC, Ted Cruz um, speaking out about it, right? They're, they're already mad about it. I do believe um, they had, you know, a few SEC or former SEC people speaking about it. Um, NASDAQ CEO was speaking about it. So I do believe that what ended up happening is that, you know, they, they want to call it, you know, David versus Goliath. But I do believe that this is going to lead to a lot of other controversy. Thank you so much, Ross. Yeah, this is definitely a story that just keeps on getting bigger. I want to just read... Um, the D says comment real quick. So the D says, so it is, so is it now the time for folks to close Robinhood accounts and move onward? And if not, why not? Um, so what I would say to that is, um, maybe, maybe hear them out. Um, I personally am a, a larger fan of E-Trade. Um, you know, there's been other instances when Robinhood has, um, effectively, you know, kind of glitched and a lot of people weren't able to buy stocks, not just this past week, but this has happened in the past. Um, I've always been a person who, you know, I, maybe because I started with E-Trade, um, but I, I've always liked E-Trade better. Um, but that being said, I do have a Robinhood account that I opened up purely just to um, better understand their technology so I can better serve, you know, some people. I have an investment club. And so, you know, when people are just starting to invest, you know, you know, everyone for the most part has downloaded Robinhood. They had the most downloads. Um, it was number one trending um, at the, in the app store, as well as I want to say, you know, they might have had maybe six million download or new new users last year. So that being said, for me to better um, understand, you know, some of the new people that I'm interacting with who I'm giving, you know, investment advice to, um, I just wanted to understand it. But the vast majority of my actual investing dollars are in my Robin. I mean, I'm sorry, are in my E-Trade. I, I, I only used uh, Robinhood to learn. Now I hear you, Ross. You know, as a big time investor like me, I got about seventy five dollars in my Robinhood, but I got seventy eight dollars in my E Trade. So you hey, know. you know what time it is? <laughs> or if you advise, man. Listen, the money talks fast. All right, but I do have a quick question because one of the things that's been highlighted here is the fact that the companies that have been growing in value during this time period are companies that are either going out of business or are already out of business. Blockbuster is bankrupt, but it's surging on, on in the stocks right now. I didn't even know that Nokia was still making phones, but all of a sudden it went from being valued at $2 to $17. These are not real products. These are not real things. And like some people, some people on my side of the political scheme would argue that this is an example of why Wall Street is not a real industry, because they're really just playing around with ideas of things. What do you say to that? Well, what I will say is that there was an actual technical strategy that ended up happening that caused the value of their stocks to go higher. Once again, anytime, you know, you have guys that are short a company, like I say, the moment the trade goes against them, they're going to get a call from their bank. Hey, you have a margin call. You have to either post more collateral, which, you know, in this instance, they probably didn't want to do right. Or you have to go out to the market and physically buy up the shares that you borrowed from me to return to me. Right. And so what ended up happening in this instance, you know, the technical aspect of it was that they forced these other large companies to buy. So they effectively just kind of created value out of thin air because they knew um, these larger investors would necessarily have to 
um, you know, buy it right now to that question. You know, I think, you know, investment firms as a whole serve a very good purpose, right? Because they have, they have the ability to one, help finance companies, right? At the end of the day, it's two ways a company could raise money. They can borrow money. They can issue debt. When you're talking about large companies, they don't have the ability to go to a bank, right? They're, they're trying to raise multiple billions of dollars. And as a result, they go to either they can do it via issuing bonds, aka an IOU, um, issuing debt, or they could go to the public markets and issue stock, right? And that, that gives the ability for us to actually invest in it. And so in this instance, you know, to your question, I think, you know, hedge funds, Wall Street as a whole serves a good and a good purpose, right? A great purpose, right? Because they have the ability to actually understand how companies are truly valued, right? I think what what just happened over the course of the past two weeks, it'll be something that, you know, maybe they'll make a movie about it. It'd be very funny. It'd be dope. But at the end of the day, you know, true company values, um, you know, at the end of the day, stocks are based on, you know, the expectation of future cash flows as well as the profitability of a company, right? And so in this instance, to your point, BlackBerry, Nokia, AMC, right? These companies have been failing over the past years and they've been just outsmarted, right? When it comes to AMC, oh, I like Netflix. When it comes to BlackBerry or Nokia, oh, I like Apple, right? Um, GameStop, I don't know where, you buy your video games online now. You know, you don't even have to physically go into a store to buy actual games, right? And so what it is is just like effectively dinosaur businesses who um, benefited from, you know, people that were effectively championing their companies. But, you know, Wall Street at the end of the day, they know how to truly value a company. They give uh, a lot of, you know, growing companies the ability to continue to scale up, right? You, you need more money to invest back into your company. Um, but, you know, all in all, like Wall Street definitely serves a purpose. Um, now, you know, to the, now, does Wall Street, do, do some people actually get hurt at the end of the day, aka lose capital? Absolutely, right? And what we just witnessed was that, in this instance, one of the 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 smarter people, right? The, the smarter money lost money, and that's why it was the big controversy. But I do believe, um, you know, Wall Street serves a purpose. Um, well, you know, that actually leads me to um, another question, which I think a lot of people are talking about. They're saying this Robin Hood fiasco is kind of like a symptom of capitalism, which is a system in itself that has historically benefited the top one percent as well as wealthy white people while exploiting working class people of color and keeping us out of the system. Is there a way to fix capitalism and make it work for both Main Street and Wall Street? I think um, the short answer is it depends. And I think you're, you're correct in everything you said. Um, Stanley, Selena and I, we actually did a live in the midst of Corona. And one of the biggest things that I did, and it, 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 one of the things that I was a huge champion for is, you know, Black Wealth Matters, trying to help, you know, close the wealth gap, right? And one, one way to close the wealth gap is through information, right? I think information education is the true equalizer over the long course. And it's very impossible for, you know, people of color to um, gain more capital, get, get higher net worth. If we don't own assets, it's extremely impossible, right? Like you can make a lot of money, but if you don't own assets, if you're not appreciate, if you're not participating in the appreciation of assets, then you're not gonna, you know, benefit. And so one of the things that, you know, I was preaching, you know, Selena, you could attest to it was that, you know, black people need to own stocks, right? Black people own less than 1% of the stock market. So to your question, you know, is there a way that we can make this, you know, where, you know, black people, people of color are able to effectively benefit in a capitalist society? Um, we just have to actually own assets. Now, have there been things in the past that have made us less inclined to own assets? Absolutely. Right. Whether it's a distrust and, you know, the banking system, whether it is a, uh, a lack of resources that would help us. Uh, start investing. But for me, one thing and my brand is, you know, I have, you know, one thing that I do with my brand Maconomics is bringing Wall Street to Main Street, right? Helping everyday people understand how to truly build generational wealth, why it's important to invest. And so for me, you know, I always tell people like, man, you got to own stocks. You have to, right? I don't care if you don't even know what you're doing, buy an index and just sit back and relax, right? Selena, when me and you were saying, when me and you had our talk and I said, buy tech companies, 
um, by, you know, index companies, right? By VO or QQQ. If they would have did that last year, I was trying to do the math before we got on, they would have been up on average 30% on the S&P, right? Because the S&P finished the year up 16%. But mind you, we were talking about it when the S&P was still negative on the year, right? When I was saying invest in QQQ, right? NASDAQ, it finished the year up 43%, but remember it went down before it went up, right? And so when it, and just so to give you an idea, like we would have all made a decent amount of money, right? Now tell people like right. the stock market is the only spot in the world where when there's an actual clearance sale, people get scared, right? If mm. you if you tell me right now, like, oh, insert any top designer, bro, they going out of business, 50% off a Gucci. Oh, I'm go, right? Like everybody's going to go, right? Oh, it's Black Friday. I'm going to go get a flat screen TV for, you know, 50% off. But when I tell you, you can get Apple at 30% off or, or, or Tesla at, you know, 30, 20, 30% off, people get nervous. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And so for me, it's like, in order for us to truly bridge the wealth gap, or at least Affect, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of stuff that needs to occur. But one thing that actually has to happen is, you know, people have to own the stock market. And so to your question, is there any ability for us to get some type of parity in it? Probably not. But it has to yeah. start one day at a time. One brokerage account, a.k.a. one black person, open up a stock account and investing, buying a stock at a time. So Eric Moore left a really good comment a few minutes ago via Facebook. He says capitalism isn't broken you can't fix something not broken it's working as design i want to throw it to you stanley yeah so you know ross i was going to ask you if you thought that we should just be done with capitalism now that it's shown that you know there really isn't a way that you can't make it predatory but i think that like it's safe to say that you know you think there's a way to function through capitalism so i don't want to ask you that question what i want to do is actually take a second for you to give folks who are watching the show right now who are either thinking about investing or um, are investing just like just uh, some advice on a way you should approach it. I know for me, I do invest in stocks. I have no intentions of getting rich from investing in stocks. I don't think I'll get rich. Um, my goal is it's a it's a it's a fun savings account. And what I mean by that is like it's a savings account where you know it grows whether I can always put money into it or not as long as I'm making smart investments. So I look for things that are steady, that are smart. This way, if I put in ten dollars, you know, in a couple of months, it might be. $15. And if you're really lucky, it can turn to 50. But um, that's my philosophy. What's the basic philosophy do you think most people who are either thinking about or are in this already should have? So Stanley, I truly love, you know, what you said, but I just want to um, challenge you, um, you know, on one thing. And you said, you know, I invest, but I don't think I'm gonna ever get rich doing it. And I truly want to let you know that you can, you can make a million dollars in the stock market and how you do it. It's not as hard as you think. And the reason I say that is because in our community, it's not taught to us, right? My whole brand of economics is exposure and the stuff that I was exposed to working, you know, for hedge funds or working on Wall Street is the stuff that I learned just being submerged in a different culture. We can all do that. We can all do that. And just to give you an idea, if you were to invest $250 a month into the S&P 500, you'll have a million dollars in call it 25, 30 years. And so to your point, Stanley, you can't make a million dollars. You can't get rich doing it. What it is is just the knowledge and the discipline that we don't have in our community. So to anybody that's thinking about investing, you know, one of the first things I'm going to tell you is that one, you're doing the right thing by invest, you know, starting off investing. But what you have to do is take change your mindset. and You have to actually say, you know what? You know, I'm not trying to get rich quick. Right. Like at the end of the day, what it boils down to is being a person that has a long term horizon. You know, you're always thinking about the future, right? Trying to say, okay, I want to find the next Tesla, the next Apple, or, you know, the next what have you, right? There's so many great companies, right? And what you have to do is be, you know, very long-sighted, but more importantly, be consistent. The reason that I say it, if you invest $250 a month, you can get rich is because you actually can. Most people don't look at this as, most people start an investment account and say, I'm going to put $500 in there and hope to get rich. No. Anytime I any any person that's in my investment um, community, one thing I tell them is this: be disciplined. If you pay, a lot of people, especially in our community, we work hard for money, but we don't allow our money to work hard for us. And so, you know, if we get used to paying bills monthly, right? We pay our phone bill, our Netflix bill, our car note, our mortgage, or our rent monthly. Get our hair done monthly, right? 
But if we were to take that same attitude to putting $100, $200, $300, $400 monthly into the stock market, you will get rich over time. That is an actual fact, right? Like it's, it's. I mean, if if we're not getting rich in it, like if if you look back at the at the average investment uh, return on the S and P five hundred, it's been ten percent since it's been incepted, right? And just to give you an idea, you know, in our community, we think that we're doing a good job because we're saving. Like, oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, my mama taught me how to save, man. So I ain't gonna spend that much. The reality is, by you solely doing one thing by saving, you're still losing out on money. And we don't understand that. Like at the end of the day, if you have $100 in your bank account and you just leave it there and you believe you're saving, right? Your bank account might pay you 0.01%. You know, who knows, right? If you think that that's all you're doing, you're actually still losing money because the the cost of living goes up each year, right? Inflation is two to 3% each year. And so just really quickly, right? You remember when we were kids, we can go to the corner store with a dollar, right? Get you two bags, a quarter quarter bags of chips. I used to get two bags of flame of hots. I can get a little uh, honey bun or, you know what I'm saying? Some penny candy. Now water. you go to a corner store with a dollar, which you're going to get one bag of chips and a 10 cent bag to actually put it in. You can't get none, right? And that's the reality. The cost of living goes up and increases every year, two to 3%. And so to a person that got a hundred dollars in a bank account, that's really only $97 your next year. And it keeps going down. And so what I try to tell our community is like, look, we have to invest. It's not up for great. It's not like up for debate no more. It's like an actual fact. You have to invest. Right. And that's one thing that I want to push to people. So if you like if you're just starting out trying to invest, man, definitely reach out to me. I look forward to working with you because that's what my brand is. You know, you go look back at when Selena and I did the the actual live. I promise you, I was telling you what stocks to buy that you probably be up 100% already. You know what I mean? You would think you're rich already, but you're not. Like at the end of the day, be consistent and you can actually get rich. So I just wanted to say, Stanley, I love what you said. I just wanted to challenge you to say, Stanley, you can get rich off this, bro. I'm not saying you're going to be Warren Buffett rich, but you can but be- you can make some money from the stock market. Ross, how can people connect with you and and tap in with all the, the knowledge and resources that you're giving out? Absolutely. Um, once again, I just can't I can't say thanks enough for you guys having me. Um, but please, guys, you know, follow the movement. Um, you can follow me on all social platforms. That's at I'm Ross Mac. It's probably right there. You can see it right there at I'm Ross Mac. Um, I have a YouTube series. Um, it's called Maconomics. Please subscribe. Literally just YouTube.com slash Ross Mac. Um, I, I literally I've been putting out free game for a year for almost two years now. Um, so it's not you know, it's not anything new to me. Um, and also, if you truly are trying to take your investment uh, philosophy to the next point to the next level, right? You're trying to not only get started, but actually understand how to truly value a company, how to truly find the next Apple, how to truly find the next Tesla. Shoot me a text um, right now. That's seven, 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 three. 232-2577. That's 773-232-2577. And I look forward to helping you all get to the bag. That's what I'm here for. Thank you, Ross. And we always appreciate hearing from you, especially here at Black Enterprise. So I actually want to just end and wrap up this conversation by saying, yeah, we know Wall Street has been ripping off America all the time. And but I do think it's time for us to get smart and figure out how we can contribute to our communities. And that could be doing what Ross has been doing, right? Through economic empowerment, or it can be more on the lines of what Stanley has been doing with organizing and actually calling for the system to be actually burnt down in its entirety. The fact of the matter is we have to get in the game, either civically, economically, politically, we have to do something. So find your lane because it's the time for us to take back this country is now. And, you know, speaking of Stanley, I actually wanted to just throw it back to him to give a very poignant final remark. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, for those of you who don't know, which is hopefully everyone, today is my last show as a full-time host of Be Heard Talk. And I've been doing this with Selena since I was 19 years old. And it feels kind of crazy to say that because I'm 34 years old now. Um, and this has been one of the best experiences of my life. Um, working with Selena, doing a team, talking about important information, um, being messy. So thank you for everyone who stuck with, who stuck with me for this long. 
and watched and didn't Dex to take me off the show. Thank you for enjoying our platform. And I'm really excited to see and support Selena in the next steps of the Be Heard brand. So thanks, guys. And thank you, Stanley. You almost made me shed a little what you call a thug tear over here. I'm like, oh my God, this moment is real. But your contributions to Be Heard are obviously extremely real and instrumental. Thank you so much. Stanley's not officially leaving. No, he's leaving as a co-host, but he's still always going to be part of the Be Heard family because, like, literally, it was it was my original idea, but Be Heard is, like, our baby, literally. So, Be Heard, we will continue yeah. to go and call. Look out for Let's Not Be Trash. We're still, I'm still, like, ready on Let's Not Be Trash. I'm just taking my talents to behind the, the StreamYard cameras now. That's all. I'm working on his book deal. So on that note, thank you so much, Stanley. Everything you have contributed has been so appreciated and I'm so grateful. And everyone in the comments is saying thank you as well. We are definitely gonna miss you. Um, and stay tuned, Be Heard Talk. We'll be back, we're taking a brief break, but we are coming back bigger and better than ever. So stay tuned. Peace.